Our scripture reading today comes from 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 29. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. It is a real joy to be back here at Christ Community Church. And to share with you once again about uh, what God is doing in Iran and also share from the Word of God. Um, For those of you who uh, don't know, I'm with Elam Ministries. Uh, My name is David Yegnazar. I've had the privilege of uh, serving with Elam for almost 25 years. I was born in Iran. My dad is uh, Iranian. My mother is British. They met in India. We've lived in Iran, the Philippines, Lebanon, England, the USA, back in England, so I'm very confused about uh, my, who I am in terms of my earthly identity, but I love Jesus, and uh, I, I, uh, when I was nine years old, the Lord touched my life, and from that time, I just felt I, I belonged to Him, and so it's a privilege that I uh, get to, to serve Him and to... Uh, Part of that is here today. I believe God wants to speak to us through His Word and into your life, your lives as individuals, your life as a church, because Jesus is alive and uh, He is active in our lives. So today I want to talk to you about mission from the margins. Um, and the reality is that, so I'm talking about the church in Iran. I've had the privilege of seeing the story of Iran's church unfold in my lifetime um, and being part of that story. And um, just quick background, in 1979, when there was an Islamic revolution in Iran, there were only about 500 Christians from a Muslim background. After almost 200 years of mission work, before that, Iran was a free country. Uh, There was freedom for the church, so there was a lot of mission Then the Islamic Revolution took place, hardline regime came, uh, and that tiny church came under severe persecution, Um, pastors were killed, the Bible was banned. Imagine living in a country where the Bible is actually banned, evangelism was banned, churches were closed down. You drive past, come to church, there's churches, imagine all those churches closed down. House church meetings were made illegal. Thousands of Christians arrested and imprisoned still are. Numerous Christians lost their jobs, all kinds of things. And yet, the gospel in that time, since 1979, has spread rapidly. And the question is, how does that happen? Today, actually, there are more people who are serving God in Iran. There are more Bibles in Iran than ever before. It's the most sought-after book in the country. Uh, There's more evangelism happening all over the country. Every day people are sharing Jesus. So the question is, how has that happened? And um, I was uh, recently asked to speak at an event in Asia with church leaders from um, 35 countries in Asia about this idea of mission from the margins. How does a church grow in a country 
like Iran, where it seems impossible for it to grow. And so that's what I want to uh, speak to us about. I, I want to say, first of all, that I'm going to share many of the good things about what God is doing in Iran. And it's not all easy. Uh, there's, you know, you'll hear the great testimonies. I remember once I went to a pastor, Iranian pastor, and I said, do you have any testimonies to share? He said, do you want the good ones or the bad ones? Uh, because there's not all, it's not all easy and great. I don't want it to sound like it's just easy sailing the whole time. But the story of Iran's church really is an encouraging story. It really is a faith-building story. So as we reflect and as we share a little bit from the Word of God, my prayer is that it will build courage and confidence in you again, uh, in the gospel, and that you will play your part. You, each one of you, will play your part in seeing the kingdom of, of God advance. So is that all right? Can we do that? I want to um, just pray that the Lord will bless this time, and then I'll share, I'm going to share four things that we can learn from Iran's church, and um, yeah, so, Father, I thank you for this church, thank you for your word, thank you that you speak to us through your word, may our hearts burn as your spirit communicates to us today, Lord, I pray that you would change our lives. You would build us up. Give us confidence and conviction. Give us strength in your name. In Jesus we pray. Amen. So people ask, why has the church grown in Iran? How does that actually happen? The first thing I would say is this. Persecution and pressure on the church has forced the church to consider the question, on the lordship of Jesus. Forced the question, forced an emphasis on the lordship of Jesus. We've just read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you go back to the beginning of that passage, in the first 10 verses, Paul mentions Jesus Christ 10 times, and six times he refers to Jesus as Lord. Six times in just 10 verses. He says, called to be saints in, in verse, um, well, I'll just read a few of them. He's talking to, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together and all those, with all those in every place who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go down a bit further, it says, so that none of you are lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you. Right from the beginning, Paul in this passage is emphasizing the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's not just Jesus Christ. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. When Christians face persecution and suffering, they are confronted with this question. Is he worth it all? Should I really follow him as Lord of my whole life? Is Jesus worth losing my home, my family, 
my friends, my life, my status. When Jesus, when the teachings of Jesus become challenging to us, is he actually Lord? So can we say like Peter and the other disciples, when Jesus' teaching got difficult in John chapter 6, Jesus says, so what do you want to do? And Peter says, where else shall we go? Where else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so in a country like Iran, the question is, it's, it's, it's right in front of your face. What about you? Can we answer like Peter? Where else shall we go? You have the word. There's nowhere else to go. And in Iran in recent years, one of the reasons I believe the church has grown is because many of the believers have answered, yes, Jesus, you are worth it all. You are Lord of my life. That means I will submit to everything that you're saying. You are Lord. And when they answer yes, when we answer yes, and this is key, when we answer yes and understand and live like Jesus is Lord, then we understand that as Lord, He has ultimate authority. And faith comes from an understanding of authority. So when the, the government and these people in power seem like they have all ultimate authority, when you live like Jesus is Lord, you're recognizing who has ultimate authority. So when Christians face suffering, they do feel pain. They do cry the tears. They mourn the loss. But because we know that He is Lord, we understand that persecution, that suffering, is not the end of the story for the church. And so you can keep going on. There's a deep conviction that God is writing the story. And that if, he, if we submit to the story He is writing, then He can make beautiful things out of even the most difficult parts of our stories, of our lives, of our suffering. He can enter into bleak situations and bring joy and hope and life. And in recent years, uh, this has been demonstrated in the church in Iran. And, and so many people have said, yes, we will live like you are Lord. One of them was our friend Farshid Fatih, who's been in, here at this church, suffered for five years in prison. With him, 60 other leaders were imprisoned. And since that time, many, many Leaders and Christians and ordinary believers have been arrested and imprisoned for their faith because they say Jesus is Lord. Some time ago, I was with my wife. I was speaking to a couple in Iran by Zoom the night before they were going to spend six months in prison for their faith. So Louis, we were like, well, what do we say to them? Uh, and so we, we were talking to the, them on Zoom, and I said to Ben, the husband, I said, Ben, you could have run away. Why didn't you run away? And he paused, and he smiled, a thoughtful smile. And he said, I asked the Lord to take this burden away, but he hasn't. So maybe my next mission is in prison. That's somebody saying yes to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that is being demonstrated in this generation, um, but really it's been modeled to us by older leaders, by the previous generation. One of the great examples uh, 
was from a man called Mehdi Dibaj. Mehdi Dibaj came to Christ in the 50s or 60s. He was from a high, uh, so very um, strong Islamic background, uh, respected family, became a Christian, was active. In 1985, he was imprisoned. He was imprisoned for nine years. Then in 1993, he was taken to court. He was going to be sentenced to death. And um, so he had a chance to speak in front of three Islamic judges who were going to sentence him to death. And uh, so what would he say? And we have the record of what he said. And this is going to come up on the screen. I'm going to read some of the words that he said to Islamic judges who were going to sentence him to death. They tell me, return, but from the arms of my God, who can I return to? Is it right to accept what people are saying instead of obeying the word of God? It is now 45 years that I'm walking with the God of miracles, and his kindness upon, his, his kindness upon me is like a shadow, and I owe him much for his fatherly love and concern. To know him means to know eternal life. I a useless sinner, have believed in his beloved person, in all his words and miracles recorded in the gospel, and I've committed my life into his hands. Life for me is an opportunity to serve him, and death is a better opportunity to be with Christ. Therefore, I am not only satisfied to be in prison for the honor of his holy name, but I am ready to give my life for the sake of Jesus, my Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Why has the church grown in a country like Iran? Because you're forced to consider this question, an emphasis on the Lordship of Jesus. So my question for you is how are you living like Jesus is really Lord of your life? How are you living and how are you demonstrating the Lordship of Jesus through your life? And if you want to impact the next generation, how are you living that Jesus is really Lord of your life so the next generation can live, can be inspired by you in the same way we've been inspired by people like Mehdi Dibaj? So that's the first reason I think the church is growing. One reason. Second is that persecution in Iran has meant that mission had to be done from the margins. Mission had to be done from the margins. Um, when I was at this uh, event in, in Asia, the, the, they were asking, this is what they wrote to me and said, they asked me to speak on this. In the past few hundred years, mission has usually been done from the powerful to the powerless, from the rich to the poor, from the educated to the less educated. In short, from the center to the margins. But in the New Testament, mission was initiated from the margins of the empire by a weak and persecuted minority and eventually transformed the center and turned the world upside down. Can you speak about that? <laughs> so that was fun to think about that. And really, it's true. One of the reasons that the church in Iran has grown is because we had no platform. We had no church. The churches were closed down. You couldn't invite people to the church. So if you want the church to grow, the only way was to equip the people of God to go and do their work, to go and be witnesses. 
Because even if you could come up with the best programs, nobody would come. They couldn't come. So really, to, to help the church grow, you had to empower the people of God. You had to have a different plan. And so we have had to equip the church to do the work, and that meant equipping people. And often, the least expected people, the people on the margins, people that nobody would ever have expected to do something great for God, have ended up transforming communities and families and places. It's been incredible to see. And that's why you have these verses. Uh, I love this passage where it, that we read, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things, the insignificant things of this world to, and the despised things. Friends, the heroes of the faith in Iran are not the church pastors that everybody knows. They're not the well-known celebrities. They're an army of unknown faithful witnesses. It's a woman sold into slavery at 14 years old to a husband who is, abuses her, who comes to know Jesus, learns to love her husband, learns to love the family that have treated her like slaves. That's a hero of the faith, and I wish you could meet her someday. It's a drug addict that you'll never meet who came to Christ, and the Lord said, go and sit with them. He went into a city, into a part of the city that the police don't even dare to go. And he went and sat with the drug addicts in that place. It's a criminal, an actual criminal who was watching a Christian TV program who uh, comes to faith and ends up being an evangelist, and he's literally traveled to over a hundred cities in Iran sharing Jesus with people. He's been arrested three times. He's been imprisoned uh, for his faith, and the second time he was in prison, he led 20 people to Christ, so they let him out of prison because he was doing more damage inside <laughs> than outside. It's a teacher of the Quran who found a New Testament read the Word of God, was moved in his being, and now is a witness. In Iran, we've had to do mission from the margins. We've been forced. It's not because, honestly, it's not because Iranian Christians are more clever or are better Christians. It's because the circumstances forced us to think, is Jesus Lord? It's forced us to do mission from the margins. And then it's so beautiful to see. And then you realize this is not new. This is what God has always done. He's always chosen the weak. He's always worked from the margins. He's always chosen the Gideons. And he's chosen Peter and, and John and, and random people. And so if you are here thinking, I am not a platform person, praise God. You have incredible things to do for the kingdom of God. You have somebody to reach that nobody else can reach. And I encourage you with all my heart, change the way that you think that the church will grow. The church will grow through the people of God, whoever you are, however weak you feel, however insignificant you feel. I was traveling on a plane here in the States one time, 
sitting next to this businessman. And it's a long story. I can tell it to you later. It was quite a dramatic story for me. But the Lord spoke to me about this guy. And I was for two hours resisting speaking to him. I really felt, I thought maybe it's the pizza I ate last night, you know. Or, but it just kept coming back. And so I ended up talking to him. I, there was, it was I, I don't have time to go into the details. You can come and ask me if you really want to know. It was quite a, a remarkable moment. The Lord showed me something about the details of this guy's life, and he was absolutely shocked. And I said it to him, and I was shocked that it was right. When he, you know, it was like, I was like, oh, wow, God is really speaking. And he said to me, why, why do you think that God would show that? And then I said, Lord, why would you say that to me? <laughs> and uh, he said, because maybe God knows the details of your life. He wants you to know he cares about the details of your life. And he said, I've always thought, somebody who's been to church his whole life, he said, I have always thought that God is not interested in the details of my life. You may have been in this great church, but because of our understanding of church from the platform, from the center, you think God is not interested in me. He's interested in Tom Nelson, which he is very much interested in Tom Nelson. But you, we feel as members of the church that we're not He's not interested in us. God wants to work through you in incredible ways. So, church grows through the margins. How do you expect God to work? Do you really expect God to work through your life? One of the joys of our ministry is seeing people come alive who think God has nothing to do with them. But God works through them as they open their mouth, as they serve, as they do something tiny. And God takes this tiny five loaves and two fish and does something dramatic through it. So the third, there's two more points of how the church has grown. And they're related to this, but it's worth emphasizing. Third reason that the church in Iran has grown is because everybody is an evangelist. Every, evangelism is everyone's job. When mission has to be done from the margin, that means everybody is equipped to do the work. One of the, you know, churches cannot rely on inviting people to, to a Sunday service. You can't. So if you want to go, you equip everybody to share their faith. And, um, you know, that's our goal. Our goal as a ministry is to train every believer to share their faith. And the earlier, the better. We've realized that the sooner somebody starts sharing their faith, the better it is. Often when somebody comes to faith, we think, okay, well, let's see if they become good Christians and let's see if they learn to read their Bible and let's see if they've, and then maybe they can share. No, we say right from the beginning, go and tell them what Jesus has done. And so we have encouraged people to share Jesus wherever they are. And that's why we print and distribute these New Testaments because you can easily just say, Jesus has changed my life. I want to give you this book so that you can meet him too. And that's the simple evangelism that's happening. It's the simple sharing. I've met Jesus Christ. He's changed my life. And people are doing this all over in Iran. And we've distributed more New Testaments this year than ever before. Why? Not because there's one small team that's doing incredible things. But because there's one large team of regular people who take this Bible, take this New Testament with them wherever they go. And they share it on a daily basis with people. Sharing Jesus. I love this picture because this is one of our friends in Iran who shared the New Testament with a family. And uh, 
we gave them one, and they came. They said, we don't want one. We want many. We want one for each of us. And then they gathered around this car, and they're opening it up, asking questions. You can see just in this one picture, this hunger that people have in Iran. They want to come. They've just sat. Somebody's just shared it with them that they, they want to come and ask questions. Um, one of my favorite stories of mission from the margin, somebody who is doing evangelism, is a friend called, we'll call him Mehdi. And Mehdi was a, another man who was a drug addict. If you listen to it, you'll hear his voice in a minute in a video. You'll, if you spoke Farsi, you would understand he is not a highly educated, in fact, actually one of the lower educated people. Very little education, if any. Um, he speaks with an accent. He speaks, and when you speak, you can hear, or if you, uh, uh, his face is blurred, but if you see his face, you can see he's been marked by years of drug addiction. He came to faith. He has absolutely fallen in love with Jesus. But we said, you can share Jesus. So he started to share, and then finally we got him. He was starting to share more and more, so we sent him a box of about 100 New Testaments. So this video, he is so excited. This guy who's a drug addict in Iran is so excited to receive his first box of New Testaments that he decided to film it and send it to us. So you can see this video of of Mehdi receiving. Here he is. So Mehdi receives these New Testaments, this man that the world would probably never know, then goes and starts sharing with other addicts. And here's a picture of him sharing his testimony in front of a room full of addicts. He's not, he's not a well-known person. He's right on the margins of society. And yet he's doing incredible things because he is a witness. He's an evangelist. 
An evangelist is somebody who simply goes and tells the good news of Jesus Christ. So the question for you is this. Do you really believe that every believer is an evangelist? Do you live like it? We probably would say yes, but do we actually live like we not on a Sunday, but from Monday through the rest of the week, are the carriers of good news, of life. We tell people, it's your joy and privilege. It's good news. Go tell others. And so equip yourselves, my friends. This is the time in the United States of America where you need to live like every believer is a carrier of the good news. Jesus is Lord. Mission is done through the margins, not from the center, through everybody. And everybody is a carrier of the good news. And then final point is that we've realized in the church in Iran that discipleship is not just leading people to Christ. It's helping them learn to walk with Jesus. Oh, we've got, we got some pictures here. Um, no, we'll, we'll stay. Yeah, these are uh, because so many people are, are sharing their faith. There's being baptisms all over people coming to faith, you'll just see these different pictures. Um, and this is the result of many, many people sharing their faith. So the final point, uh, quickly in the last couple of minutes, um, why is the church growing in Iran? Because we've realized that it's not just uh, training people to be evangelists, but mobilizing the whole church to be involved in discipleship, to be involved in discipleship. You know, often uh, the church grows, um, but the question is, you know, church growth is usually messy, but you have to learn to walk with new believers to help them follow Jesus. Uh, and often we have a vision for discipleship, but we don't know how a methodology. We don't know how we're actually going to get it done. And so persecution has helped us realize that discipleship really happens relationally, working and walking with people, living life together. And um, it's not just something, again, it's not something just done at church. Church is important, I mean, at Sunday services. We absolutely believe in those. We absolutely believe in the gathering of the people. We work hard. We risk our lives to gather people together. But that's not the only place where we grow. It's growing in life together in community. So in Iran, you, you risk your life to gather together, but that's not the only place that you grow. It happens as you put into practice daily in your life. And so we needed believers to get involved in the lives of other people, to help those new believers walk on a day-to-day -day basis. You heard Amir Hussein talk about Safar. And um, so there's, there's so much that could be said about that when we have our, our lunch event later. If you want to come, you can hear more about the details of how that's actually impacting people's lives. But I'm going to finish now. And I just want to say that finally it's Jesus who's building his church. I know in America there's so much going on. And America is on, I don't need to tell you about your, your country and, and the politics and, and the tensions. And the, but my friends, Jesus is the one who's going to build his church. Who said and he is going to do it. He is going to do it. He's not thinking, oh, America, you've, you, you go and sort out your politics and then I'll come and sort of, then I might come back. He's building his church right now. Jesus is alive. 
And when we live like He is Lord, not a party, not a government, not this one or that one, when we live like He is Lord and we're not divided because we follow this one or that one, and as it says in 1 Corinthians, we recognize that He is Lord and He chooses the weak things of this world to shame that then we get on board what He is doing. And right here, my prayer for the, I love this church. We've walked with, together for many years. And my prayer, my heart for you is recognize afresh that He is actually building His church right now. Open your eyes to see what He's doing. And then play your part wherever you are, however weak you feel. Recognize that He wants to do something through you, and that's through the church. That's through us. So I know this church has great programs for that, uh, helping you think through how you live your life from Monday onwards. I just encourage you wholeheartedly, go for it. You have a part to play, and God may, uh, may God bless uh, your community. Thank you so much for praying for us, for standing with us, and uh, we love you guys. Thank you.